is it possible that she knew somehow that I had leukemia? And he, he didn't even he didn't even blink. Absolutely. Hi, dog lovers. Thank you for coming back to Rescued by a Dog, the podcast about dogs who have actually saved their owners' lives. I'm Laura, author of the novel Not Just a Dog and host of this podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by eco-friendly dog accessory company Lil Archie's, which makes high-quality, USA-made, eco-pet products like durable, compostable dog waste bags and chic, sustainably-made bandanas and poop bag dispensers. If you want to save the planet while spoiling your pup, check out lilarchies.com. That's L-I-L-A-R-C-H-I-E-S.com, and you receive 15% off your order by using the coupon code RESCUE15. Now you're going to hear an incredible story from Julie, whose pup Marley found a way to let her know she needed to get to the doctor as soon as possible. Hello? Hi there. Let me see if I can turn on my camera. There. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for talking to me today. So I love that I know nothing about your story, so I'm going to be hearing it for the first time. Why don't you tell me the name of the dog that we're going to be talking about and what do they look like? So um, my dog's name is Marley after Bob Marley, who is one of my favorites of all time. Uh, Three Little Birds is one of my favorite songs. And um, she is a cream golden doodle, about 35 pounds, all fluff. And how did you meet her? Um, I, myself, I mean, I have brought home so many stray dogs and kittens throughout my life. I mean, too many to even count. And then I would take them to the spay and neuter clinic and get them spayed and neutered. And then I would find homes for them or I would keep them. But I've also rescued dogs that, you know, have behavior things that can't be fixed too. And my husband would just name them after a wrestler and get a piece of golf equipment out of the deal. That was usually the trail. <laughs> So, um, my, I have three daughters. They're now 18, 20 and 22. But when my 10 year old daughter, um, she had been asking to have a puppy and, um, presented us with a proposal to look into golden doodles. I ended up finding her from a breeder in Eastern Washington. And we picked her from a picture in an email, orange girl was her name. (laughs) And, um, She just had really sweet, loving eyes, and we just all fell in love with her. And um, she was so chill. She was just like this chill puppy, and we put her in the back seat with the girls. And I looked back there, and they were all, you know, just clutching onto her. And, you know, they were kind of, you know, like eight. Well, like, I guess they were, let's see, were they? I think they were six, eight, and ten when we got her you know, little girls would be kind of giddy and goofy and loud and let me have her and, you know, that kind of thing. And she was just rolling with it. You know, she just looked so happy to be getting all that attention. You know, her tail was wagging and her eyes were bright and she was smiling. I mean, dogs smile, let's be honest. But she's, um, yeah, she's just quirky and does funny things. She's very goofy and that fits in with our personal, our family personalities. So yeah, she just fit in right away. One of the funniest things she does, we're big um, 
Austin Powers fans. And that at that time, like the Austin Powers movies were really big. And I don't know if you remember the Danish guy, gold member, I think they called him instead of father, they called him Faja, right? Faja. And we lived in Germany for four years. We're an Air Force family. And so she does this weird like begging thing with her hands. It's so hilarious. And she crosses her paws all the time, which is so adorable, but she does this Faja thing and it's not, she's not begging for food. She wants attention. And somehow, some way we named that the Faja. So we're like, <laughs> she's doing the Faja and I don't even know where that connection happened, but yeah. Did the character do that? No, I don't even know why we called it the Faja. I, again, we're odd, I think. <laughs> At some point after you got Marley, she actually saved your life in a really unique way. Can you just tell me that whole story? Yes. So in 2013, so we got her in about 2010. So she was three. You know, she was one of those dogs that loves everyone in the family, didn't really have a favorite. Maybe my daughter was her favorite a little bit, but not not a ton. And... I don't know. Um, I didn't really understand what was going on until later, but for about two months, she all of a sudden was like my Velcro dog. She would not leave me alone. She would walk so close behind me in the hall that if I would stop, she would bump into the back of me. Um, It was very strange to the point where I thought something was wrong with her. So I took her to the vet and they're like, no, she's good. She's fine. Um, And so going about living my life and it was coming up to spring break. So it was around, well, it was exactly around the week of March 20th of 2013. I went in for uh, routine blood work. So I'm very conscious of my health. So I thought, you know, I'm probably going to need to get this checked out. It, you know, I feel fine, but I don't know. Something's weird. Something's not right. When you took her to the vet and she was fine, was there something like, did you already planned to go to the doctor or? Mm -mm. And um, the nurse there said, I'm not a doctor, but I think you need to get in to see a hematologist. And I didn't even know what that was. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, okay. So I made an appointment and walked right in and it said cancer center. So I'm like, okay, this is probably not a good thing. And, you know, went with my husband and the hematologist, you know, it's kind of a long story, but he basically said, um, well, these blood counts, you know, your absolute neutrophil count, which is a subcomponent of your white count it's normally around 125, 1.25. And mine was 0.0002. And meaning non-existent. And he said, have you, but this is your immune system. So have you been sick? Do you get sick a lot? I said, I haven't had a cold for five years. My girls were eight, 10 and 12 at this point. Um, working full time for the air force, um, teaching master's classes. I'm a professor raising my daughters, um, felt great. Um, 
So he said, and your platelets, you, have you had some bruising? My platelets were very low. And I said, eh, I always bruise. So eh, not, not really. He goes, okay, here's the thing. I don't think this is serious because you haven't been sick. I think this is something wonky, just a weird test, but just to be sure, (laughs) I'm going to send you for a bone marrow biopsy and a CAT scan um, just to rule out some things. And I said, okay, so I'm one of these planners. I'm a person who tell me the worst that this could be. What's the worst case scenario? And it goes, well, worst case scenario, you have a uh, acute leukemia and we'll be checking you into a hospital for months and you'll probably need a bone marrow transplant. He goes, but I don't think this is what this is. I think based on everything, I said, well, we have a cruise coming up. We're taking spring break. Uh, Should I buy trip insurance? No, 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 no. Based on how well you are, no way. He goes, what about exercise? I said, I stair step 40 minutes today. I'm healthy. I'm fit, you know. So he says, I'm going to send you tomorrow to go get this done. And this was on a Wednesday. And he said, we'll call you Monday with the results, but don't worry. Don't stress. Well, of course, I stressed. Um, the very next day within hours of the test, he calls me and he says, I need you to come in and I need you to bring your husband. And I, I just kind of went, okay, this is bad. So I walked in, he said, it's the worst case scenario. I have, he goes, you have acute myeloid leukemia. Um, we have a bed for you at LDS hospital. Um, you need to be there in two hours. They will start chemo today and put a port in your heart today because we have to get after this. This will kill you in a matter of days. Um, and plan to be there a month to eight months. And it was, I had the type of leukemia I had has about a 6% five-year survival rate. So it's, it's really bad. He said, you have, you know, get your stuff, go pack very little and get there. You need to be there ASAP. So he came home. I, you know, I just said, mom, you know, told the girls very minimal, very little, um, just said, you know, mom's got to go trying to figure, you know, she's got to get, go to the hospital. We'll figure it out. Um, and so it's a whirlwind, right? You get there. And, and I was so blessed in that, um, my oncology team was headed by a man from Denmark who stands up stem cell transplant, uh, facilities across the world. Very, very, very knowledgeable man. His name is Dr. Peterson. Um, and, um, He said, here's the thing. Yes, you have acute myeloid leukemia, but there are 13 subtypes. Um, And about 20% of them are what we call favorable. And you can survive, possibly. (laughs) And you might not even need a stem cell transplant. (laughs) So it was sort of that. He said, we have to get you into remission. And then there's, you know, you'll be in treatment for a year and a half. Um, we won't know much for a couple weeks about, you know, um, what subtype you have, but if you're a praying person, which I am, I'm a person of faith, um, pray for 
in version 16 or translocation 1821. <laughs> it's referring to chromosomes. Okay. <laughs> okay. So off I went and that part's a blur. Um, immediately getting chemo. I won't go into the gory details, but it's, it's the word, it's the, some of the strongest chemo known to man. Um, it's called Ida Rubestein. It's the red devil. I, I mean, it was pretty brutal. Um, couldn't see my girls for two and a half weeks because I couldn't risk, you have no immune system. So I was pretty much sequestered in a hope in a hospital room, um, negative air flow because you, it, it's one of those that, um, you can't take the risk of being exposed to any germs, any germs, any, anything. So, um, you know, I went on that journey and two weeks in, he walked into my room and he goes, I'm glad it happened to you. He said, in version 16, you have a favorable subtype. Um, that means that you probably won't need a bone marrow transplant. However, you know, um, you still have to have this round of induction chemo, which lasted, I was in the hospital for 28 days. And then four sessions of what's called consolidation chemo. So went about that, went home, you wait for your counts to come back up. You, you can't leave the house. You can't you have to be on a mic low microbial diet, no fresh fruits, no vegetables, no fat. No. I mean, it's very strict. All everything you put into your body can't be around soil. They did let me. And I, that was one of the questions I said, I have pets and they said, no, you can, for now you can keep them. But if you need a stem cell transplant, they'll have to go elsewhere. The joy that I saw when I walked in the door from my first being gone for 28 days, you know, and she was just like, it was like, there she is, you know, I mean, it was, it was like, I don't know. It was just this reunion. Of course it was, I was happy to see my children, my daughters, but she was doing the fascia and running around and just, you know, she stands on her hind legs and does that weird thing with her her <laughs> And it's her, and she's not begging for food. She's begging for, hey, look at me. Look at, I, give me, give me attention. Look at me. And that, I will always remember that, that joy. And through my treatment of over a year and a half, you know, my husband still had to go to work. My daughters went to school and my parents by that time had passed away. Um, and I know I can say this to you and you won't judge me, but that dog mothered me. She totally mothered me. Oh, I mean, the love and like just kind of the just wherever I went, there she was. You know, <laughs> are you okay? I felt like she was always like, You good? You all right? You know, and it was funny before I got sick, we bought a really nice, comfortable, like Tempur Pedic adjustable base bed. And I thought to myself, I must have known I needed to, a bed to die in. I literally thought that. <laughs> So I spent a lot of time in my bed and eating a lot of, because um, you have a lot of pain in your mouth from the medicines and this and that, you know, so trying to not lose weight and trying to be, get nutrition and stuff. And she's bigger dog. She's 35 pounds. She spooned me. She would jump in the bed and curl up behind me and literally spoon me. 
and she wouldn't pester me. You know, she knew I, she just knew, Hey, she can't take me out right now. I'm just going to chill. And she just, and she would put her little head, you know, just rest her little head on my shoulder and just gaze into my eyes, you know, like they do. As long as I was in the bed, she was with me. But that made you feel less alone in your... Oh, yeah. Very isolating. Cancer is a very... All illness, but cancer is very isolating because a part of you shuts down emotionally because you're afraid to think in the future. You're afraid to think about the present. You're afraid to plan. You're afraid to show emotion, especially when you have young kids observing all of this, right? You don't want them to worry. Um, So yeah, it's very isolating. And so I chose to be alone with her a lot when I just didn't, it was raw and I just didn't want to, just didn't want to show, you know, how, literally scared to death I was and and I couldn't have visitors I couldn't have people come to my home because of the germ situation so I was isolated in my house for about 18 months um which was actually very cathartic for me and very very healing and very you know and I'm an extrovert but it was very it was a very calming. I had a sense of calm during that time. And you know what? Now I don't even think about cancer. I don't, I don't think about it as far as worrying about it because it's like the good Lord gave, let me, you know, deal or have to deal with the very worst that was out there. And it's like, okay, it's fine. You're fine. You know? And so I don't know. I'm a spiritual person. So I look at it maybe a little bit differently, but it's weird. The thing I feared the worst happened and I survived and I came out better for it. I believe in so many ways. I mean, it definitely changed so many things about our family. Um, My daughter's faith grew, their relationships to each other grew. My little eight-year-old, the youngest said, Mama, let's talk about the miracles that have come from you getting cancer. I mean, an eight-year-old. Who who does that, right? Who thinks that way? But they did. And Marley is the love of my life. Just wherever I went, there she was. You know, <laughs> are you okay? I felt like she was always like, you good? They're God's gift to us, I believe, to show us, to show us, just unconditional love. They love us no matter how grumpy we are, how ugly we look, you know, um, they don't care. Do we haven't brushed our teeth yet? You know, I mean, they just love us. So I kind of for, had forgotten the whole leading up to this, how Marley acted weird towards me until um, my first round of consolidation chemo where Um, And oh, by the way, to make sure you continue to be in remission, you need a bone marrow biopsy. Let me just tell you, it's the worst pain you can even ever. I've had children. I've had natural childbirth. I mean, nothing compares to that pain. But it's a positive thing because you're praying for continued remission, right? Which I was blessed to continue to have. So when I went back in, about 45 days later from my next week session of chemo, 
I saw Dr. Peterson and they had brought, I had seen some um, therapy dogs on the floor. And so it kind of brought to my mind Marley's behavior. And I said, okay, I'm going to ask you a question and I don't want you to think I'm crazy. But I said, my dog acted very odd towards me leading up to this for a couple of months before. Is it possible that she knew somehow that I had leukemia? And he, he didn't even he didn't even blink. Absolutely. Absolutely. He goes, dogs smell cancer. They also smell stress. They smell, and, and, you know, Queens College just did a huge study on this where it's proven that dogs smell our anxiety, our happiness, all of our emotions. So he said, absolutely, absolutely. And he said, and the fact that you were not ill, which most people are ill before they are diagnosed with di- with leukemia, he said, did that sort of make you come in and think you probably needed to get that routine blood work? And I said, yeah, I mean, I took her to the vet and she was good. And so the next thing was, I probably should get some blood work <laughs> done. And there we go. Yeah, yeah. And he said, well, so how did she act this time when you went home? Was she back to her normal self? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, it's because you're in remission. So at that moment, I said to myself, if by the grace of God, I'm healed of this thing, I'm going to change a little bit. My career goals and all of that is not as important. And I'm going to make memories with my daughters and my husband and travel, which is my love language. I know that's not really a love language, but it is mine. (laughs) So since then, we've taken the girls to 50 countries and... Um, I'm going to promulgate the amazing magic that is Marley Muggs. We call her Muggsy. So I had a litter of puppies with her a couple of years later. (laughs) She has this little toy that she came to us with. It's this raggedy, you know, you can imagine how. And she plays with that thing to this day, like a killer whale and a seal. (laughs) She just like throws it up in the air and... She's so silly with it, and she loves that thing. It's her baby. We call it her baby. Is that your baby? If Marley could understand human English, what would you like to say to her? (laughs) Live forever. (laughs) Um, And just how deep my love is for her. You know, sorry. Just, I just really love that dog. I just love her. I mean, I just can't even describe how amazing she is. (laughs) I just can't.